Welcome to a podcast from Hope Church Glasgow. For more about us, check out hopechurchglasgow.org. Hi and welcome to the Hope Podcast. Uh, I'm Andy Merrick and thanks for joining me today. Uh, we're using these really as a way to dig deeper into, into our Bibles, uh, look at themes that are important right now and, and just do some hopefully good Bible teaching. Today we want to look at challenging the lies that separate us from God, challenging the lies that separate us from God. And we're going to uh, dig into Luke 15. We're going to refer to the whole chapter, which I'm not going to read because uh, that would take up too much time. But I'm going to read the first couple of verses, then remind you of the structure of this chapter, which you will be familiar with, I think. And then uh, just zero in on the on the parable of the lost son, the parable parable of the prodigal, we tend to call it. So just the first couple of verses are really important here because they give us a context for what Jesus is saying in the following three parables. So verse 1 of chapter 15 of Luke says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. In fact, he tells them to tell them three parables. And the first one, I'll just kind of remind you, is the, the parable of the lost sheep. And uh, and it talks about a shepherd or someone who loses uh, one of a hundred sheep. And he goes out to find them, the, the one that's lost, and, and recovers the sheep and brings the sheep back. And, and it's joyful. It says in verse 5, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home, calls all his friends and neighbours and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I'll tell you that the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And I just want you to park that thought. There's something about repentance going on, on here. And the second parable he tells is of the woman who has 10 silver coins, uh, different estimates of what the value is, but they could be highly valuable, like a, like a close to a thousand pounds each, or something, but they're valuable at some level. And she loses one of them, uh, and she searches thoroughly, and she finds it, and then she tells her friends, I found a lost coin. And verse 10 says, in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And, and, and I'm just highlighting that for a moment because here's, here's two of three stories. Uh, the first story is of a shepherd or a man who, who goes after one of his 100 sheep. The second story is of a woman who loses one of 10 coins. And then the third story we'll look at in more depth is of a father with two sons. And although we tend to call it the parable uh, the, the, the parable of the lost son is really three characters in that parable. So you have a shepherd, you have a woman, and you have the father. And really it's a Trinitarian chapter in, in which you've got the shepherd who is Jesus, the woman who represents Holy Spirit, and the father who's the father. That's that, that's pretty obvious. And I love that in, in, in each of these, the shepherd, the woman, the father are metaphors or representatives of God and how he how he uh, interacts with people and interacts with the lost and the wayward. 
and and these are this is all Jesus's reply to these tax collectors, uh, to the Pharisees who are bothered about the way he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and and how he's eating with them, and and generally enjoy, sounds like he's enjoying himself with them, and so Jesus res- responds with this these three major parables, and what's one of the fascinating things to me is in these first two parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin is that it refers to repentance. And yet you look at it and you think, how on earth did the lost sheep repent and how on earth did the lost coin repent? They were simply found. And maybe repentance should have a... Uh, should have this idea in our head that it's much more about being found by God than it is anything to do with things we do to repent. And, and, and I think it sets up something for the third parable. So I'm really just getting that idea in your head as, as we proceed. And we're going to read the story uh, from verse 11 of chapter 15 of Luke, the parable of the lost son. And uh, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not longer after that, and and just please note that, this is still verse 12, he divided the property between them. Again, park that thought for later, we're going to need it. Not long after that, the younger son that we call the prodigal, the younger son went, uh, gathered together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth with wild living. After he'd spent everything there, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country and went, uh, and, and, who sent him into the field uh, to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I was I was set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son, the son said to him, so the son begins his rehearsed speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate like the previous two parables, there's a party. Uh, Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. (laughs) So So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come home, he replied. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. So just note that, that once again, it's the father going out to one of these sons. The father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. I guess familiar story to many of you. It's just, it's rich. I mean, I've been reading that parable and occasionally preaching it and study it probably best part of 40 years. And yet still, it still it seems to have fruit. It still seems to keep popping out revelations and important things that, that, that I'd missed. It, it's quite rich, it's quite layered, and it, it's quite deep. And I'm, I'm really thankful to scholars and teachers who've, who've unveiled some of this over the years. And it really does require a careful read. Um, and it really is about three people, not just the prodigal. It's about the father. It's about the prodigal. Yes, the one that squanders everything. He's the obvious character but not the only character. And thirdly, it's about, it, it's about the older brother. And, and I think given the context, those first two verses that we read, and the way that it ends with the, the father still in conversation with the older brother, perhaps on the back porch of the house, he's, we don't know whether the older brother has gone into the party. The, there, is, there is no prodigal two. Um, the, the, there is... The, that didn't make the next movie about this. We're just left hanging. And, and I, I, I suspect that that's where Jesus intended it to hang, saying to those that were listening, to these Pharisees, these lawgivers, uh, they were out on the back porch. Are you going to join the party or are you going to stay out there grumbling? Uh, but that's, for, that's another point that we'll perhaps return to later. So let's look at the, let's look at the, the two sons. Let's look at their their responses, and then we'll kind of draw it together and look what it tells us about about the father. And along the way, I think we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna encounter things that may be counterintuitive and uh, and highlight some things that certainly I've believed that weren't true, and have then created a sort of distance between me and the Lord because of what I believed. So that the prodigal, he he basically he makes a choice to go for the self-determination route. He wants his independence, he wants to make his own way, and he definitely comes up with his own plans. And the fruit of that is he puts physical distance between himself and his dad. You know, he needs his space, he wants to go have a good time, and off he goes and does his self-indulgent best, and he's unwise, and he crashes and burns in spectacular style. And then there he is... Admiring the pig swill and, and and starving, and he's kind of starts to devise this plan. So there's this coming to himself. He does have a realization that he sins. Something's going on. Uh, he's 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 starting to think about how dumb he's been. Now some people say this is his point of repentance. I don't think it is, because what he's still doing, even at this point of realization. He's coming up with his own plan to fix his situation. So he devises this idea, he rehearses the speech, and, and he's really figuring out that, you know, if I go back, I can get food. I'll just go back to my dad's house and I'll be employed as a servant. And at least that way, 
I can live and I'll tell him that I've been wrong and I'll just ask to go back as a servant and maybe he'll have me back and that way uh, I can I can live at least whereas I'm starving to death here. So he really comes up with a plan to save himself by renegotiating his relationship with his father. Um, and he does not anticipate what he encounters on the road back to his home. He doesn't anticipate the rapid restoration of relationship and of intimacy, the rapid acceleration into a place of celebration, the, the rapid release of resource to him. So the, the idea of the, the finger is the ring on the finger is that he can now he can now uh, transact family business again. He has access to the family accounts, basically. Um, and somehow he only gets half of his speech out and the father is overwhelming him with this celebration, with this welcome, with hugs, with kisses, um, with embraces. And, you know, we all need moments when we know our approach has been overruled by the father. Um, we all need times when we know his celebration of us and his reception of us is completely undeserved. We need encounters that change us from slaves and servants in our thinking into sons. And it happens in this place where we know we're celebrated unconditionally by the Father. Uh, these, these are the moments, I believe, of revelation and repentance. You see, what happens is suddenly... The son's plan to redeem his life and at least live gets overwhelmed by the heart of the father and the father's response to his return. And he never actually gets to articulate the whole plan. He just gets allows himself to be swept up in the father's embrace. I'm sure he could have pushed the father away and said, excuse me, but you know, I've been terrible here and I need to explain to you what the plan is now. But he didn't do that. He, he's, he's, he's robed, he's, he's got new sandals, he's got the ring, he's got the father kissing him, he's got the fatted calf being slaughtered, the party's going on, he's just received. And he never gets to, see what he's, he, his plan hinged on his ability to renegotiate his relationship with the father and say, well, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore, so call me a servant. And the father does not allow him to renegotiate his identity. Isn't that amazing? doesn't matter how much sin he'd done, how much trouble he'd created, how much shame actually he'd brought on the family, even which would be the case, to request his inheritance early would have brought huge shame on his family and the village. The father refuses to allow him to renegotiate his relationship with him as the father and renegotiate his identity as a son. You can't down, it doesn't matter how bad you've been, you can't downgrade yourself to just being a servant. Um, and this repentance, is, I believe, is happening here because he's being caught up into and beginning to line up with the father's view of who he is rather than his rather bedraggled, downgraded view of who he is. Uh, and, and the father, you know, our heavenly father's opinion of us isn't just an opinion, it's actually a description of the truth. It's not something that could be voted on or altered, it's actually a description of reality. And this, this son is always going to be a son in the house of this incredible father. And 
we are not allowed to renegotiate our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are always celebrated as sons and daughters. And often our repentance is being caught back up into his description and celebration of us and not allowing ourselves to stick in some sort of some lesser version of ourselves. You know, I think he believed a lie. I think he believed that he'd exhausted the Father's affection and that he was unredeemable. And so he'd come up with a kind of works-based, self-reliant solution. Um, But the Father wouldn't allow him to go that route. Uh, So that's him. This is a very, very happy, thrilling, wonderful moment. Um, he's utterly and thoroughly reinstated. He, he enjoys undeserved affection, the presence of the Father, undeserved supply, undeserved celebration, undeserved affirmation. This is the heart of the Father, our Father God in heaven to us. You can never exhaust the Father's grace. You can never take yourself so far away or into such a bad place that exhausts his affection for you. There's nothing and there's no one so bad, so broken and so distanced that they are unredeemable by the Father's love. These are timeless, beautiful, powerful, deep truths that are embedded here in this story. There's only one category of people in the Father's family, fully qualified sons and daughters with full rights as sons and daughters. And you can't negotiate that away you can't give him enough reasons why it shouldn't be true trust me i've tried (laughs) you you line up all all your failings and all the things that you haven't got right and he's still not convinced that you should be known of anything known as anything else other than a a fully a a fully celebrated son or daughter Uh, and then let's look at the elder brother for a minute he's he's uh, he's revealed here as angry and resentful and not just angry and resentful in the moment uh he says how he's been obedient he's been hard working but he starts to dig over history and says well you've never given me anything so this is not this is not a recent set of uh, of bitterness in his heart this is not recent occurrence this is now boiling out because this wayward younger brother has come back and he's having all this generosity and grace lavished upon him but he says something that that tells us uh, that he's actually been believing a lie he actually says to his father he says this all these years i've been slaving for you you have you have never given me anything now that's in verse 29. That's actually not true. If you remember one of those thoughts I asked you to park a while ago, when the prodigal got his money, it says that the father distributed it between the two of them. The, the resources of the family were, were distributed between the two of them at that point. So the father is correct when he replies to the son and says, all that I have is yours. So the the older brother has been living in the house, believing the lie the father's never given him anything, and the truth is the father's given him everything. And when we believe a lie about the father, it does create distance. So 
our first brother, our first son created distance from the father physically. He just got out of there, wanted his own space in his own life. This son created distance relationally and emotionally because he believed a lie about the father. And he believed that the father had held out on him when actually the truth was that he'd given him everything. And so he became angry, resentful, and emotionally distanced even from the father, even though he was present in the house with him all the time. And at this point now, he's actually resisting the father's invitation and the father's uh, affection, who once again, the father has gone out to him. The prodigal is not the only lost son in this story. And, and I guess the question I ended up asking is, when did the father become good? Sometimes we focus so much on the return of the prodigal and the, the crazy generosity of the father and in the way that he welcomes him back that we can forget to think about the fact that the father has always been good. He didn't just become good and exemplary in the way that he responded to the returning prodigal. This father was a good father, but both his sons responded to him in a way that created distance. And I'd like to suggest to you that that happened not because the father was bad, but because the sons believe lies. I want to say that again. I want to suggest to you that the reason distance, whether it's physical or emotional, happened between the sons and the father wasn't that the father had been bad and then became good, but that the sons believed lies about the father. It's clearer to see with the older brother because we can see how he owned everything, but he believed he didn't. He believed that the father had not given him anything. Um, and, and really these two, these two sons exemplify, I think what Jesus is giving us here is a parable about humanity's response to a good father. And these two sons exemplify the two classic responses. One is, I want to do my own thing. And a bit like Adam and Eve, who just made a choice to not do what, what God wanted him to do even though he provided it provided them with everything um and that that son is really believing a lie that sonship is conditional on performance we can see that by the way that he returns his sonship his relationship with the father is conditional on how what he's done now he's he's pushed the boundaries to the point of breaking here he's squandered and been awful so he to actually experience that his sonship isn't violated at this point gives him the message finally that his relationship with his father is not conditional on his performance but humanity wants its own space because it believes it needs to meet up to god's standards it, its relationship with god if he's there is built on effort which isn't true. And then when we fail, like Adam and Eve did, we hide in our shame. So it was Adam and Eve who put distance between them and the Father. The Father still is looking for them to walk with them in the cool of the day, even though he knows what's gone on. And, and, and the second son, the older son, he is in the house, but he's in the house as a grumpy servant. So this is the other, the other response of humanity is, is sort of religion, really. It's performance, but 
and obedience, but not with no celebration and without union, without without communion, without without much joy in it all, and not really believing that God's kind, good, or generous, uh, because again they're believing a lie that God wouldn't favor them. And that creates an emotional distance. So both of these guys lived in a, res- in a response to the God of their imagination, and that created the distance, rather than the Father, Father God, creating the distance. Their behaviors demonstrated what they believed about their Father But the parable, as it works its way through, shows us what the father was really like. And we get that the prodigal had come to a place of repentance and understood that, but we're left hanging and we don't know, uh, because there's no sequel, we don't know whether the older brother responded to that or not. Um, Jesus is showing us the truth in in these stories of who God is as father, Um, and just ask a question, if you feel distant from the Father or keep distancing yourself from the Father or feel not motivated to relate to the Father, ask yourself the question, is it because I'm believing a lie about him? Is that what's driving the wedge here? Because uh, there's a few scriptures we could look at, but we're running out of time. And Ephesians 4, 17 to 19 says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. So often we thought that God separates himself from us because of our sin. I think what this parable, what this verse I've just read is saying, is actually it's the shame of us getting in messes, in sins, of failing and into places of failure that creates a barrier, a cloud, a veil in our in our thinking that creates separation between us and God. He's not as scared of our failure, our sin and our shortcomings as we think he is. In fact, he's not scared of it at all and he doesn't reject us on that basis because to him we're always dearly beloved now i don't mean that there's not things to be done if we've sinned uh, in order to restore the fullness of the relationship but what i am saying is that sin doesn't separate in the way that we thought it did and this is probably a teaching a bit more for another time but if you're believing that he's distant because of something that you did, or you're believing that he's holding out on you, you're actually believing a lie. So I'd like us to, to just kind of bring this to a conclusion, really, and say this. How, how well are you responding? How well am I responding to the Father's initiative to invite us to the party, because we're all invited. Whether they've been living in the house as dutiful servants, but resenting it a bit, or we've been squandering our lives somewhere else, the Father has thrown a party, and he wants us to join in, and he wants us to join in as sons and daughters. He doesn't want us to feel like we can renegotiate our relationship with him. 
come on, let's enjoy the party together. Let's receive unconditional affection. Let's receive his celebration of us. Let's receive the honour that he bestows on us. He's the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, and he bestows on us the supreme honour of being sons and daughters and gives us access to all his resources. So, Heavenly Father, I pray for any lies that are in our heads that would bring separation between us and you to be gone in Jesus' name and that we would receive your favour, your embrace, your provision, your affirmation and your celebration right now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Find us on Instagram, Facebook or search Hope Church Glasgow on your favourite podcast player.